0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023 Potential savings will vary Discounts not available in all states and situations Hi, I'm Debbie Millman Canva is great for
1: designing visual content for work no matter what industry or department you work in at canva.com designed for work
0: This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com On this program Debbie Millman talks with designer Tina Roth Eisenberg about her blog Swiss Miss, about her Creative Mornings lecture series And about her collaborative workspace.
2: Oh, my studio. I love my studio. I love coming to work every single day. It's my happy place. I I wish
1: everyone would have this.
0: Here's Debbie Millman.
1: On her very popular design blog, Tina Roth Eisenberg describes herself as a Swiss designer gone New York City. Well, let's elaborate out on that a little bit. Tina Roth Eisenberg comes from the northern German-speaking part of Switzerland. She studied design in Geneva and Munich before moving in 1999 to New York, where she worked for ThinkMap and Visual Thesaurus. She now runs her own studio, which, like her blog, is also called Swiss Miss. Her graphic design work for the web and for print is, as you might expect, very Swiss and features generous amounts of white space clean lines and a spare yet striking use of color. Her clients include the Museum of Modern Art and the Food Network. She joins me now at our studio at the School of Visual Arts. Welcome to Design Matters, Tina.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: It's so great to have you here. So you started Swiss Miss in March of 2005 as a personal visual archive. Why?
2: Well, Like so many designers, you know, I will come in in the morning with my bagel and my coffee and I would surf the web and see what's out there, what's new. And I I would find all these amazing resources, tools or just beautiful visuals that I want to keep. And I would, Swiss as I am, bookmark them and organize them very neatly. But my problem is that I'm, I'm just very visual. So I wouldn't remember... A name of a product or of a designer that I saw. And I couldn't find anything after a while in my huge amounts of bookmarks. So I, I realized I needed a visual archive for myself. And the next best thing was a, a blog. For some reason, I don't know why, but I started on, on TypePad and I needed a username. And I just like Swissmas. That's what everyone calls me. I'm just going to use Swissmas. It wasn't taken, thank God. And now looking back, thank God, I had something so catchy as a name.
1: So you grew up in a small town about an hour outside of Zurich, and you have uh, written about how you've been influenced by uh, the renowned Swiss design school and a lot of the fresh mountain air. But now you live in Brooklyn. So why
2: Brooklyn? I love Brooklyn. I call myself the unofficial ambassador of Brooklyn. Brooklyn is just like this, I call it the, I'm faking small town living in a big city, (laughs) especially in Dumbo, because in Dumbo, I I bike to work, I walk to work. And then I end up in Dumbo where I see the same faces over and over. It's not crowded. It's kind of like, it has the small town feel. But then I sit on my desk, I run a collaborative workspace in, in Dumbo. We sit right on the East River and I look at Manhattan and we always make jokes like, look, there it is. There's Manhattan. And if it wasn't for me teaching on Tuesdays in the city in Manhattan, I don't think I'd be in Manhattan all that often.
1: I am a real Brooklynite. So for our listeners that live outside of the New York or tri-state area, tell us what DUMBO stands for. It stands for down
2: under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. And so what does that mean exactly? DUMBO is basically between the Manhattan Bridge and the Brooklyn Bridge. And it's uh, what used to be a very um, industrial area and has now been masterfully curated by a family called the Valentas. They kind of curated this neighborhood into a very up-and-coming design-centric neighborhood. I have a lot of respect for what the family Valentas did. They basically bought, I think in the 70s or 80s, they bought most of the real estate there and everybody thought they're crazy. And I believe Mr. Valentas' wife is an artist and she said, let's make sure that this area is always going to be very enticing to designers and and creative people. So they turned a lot of the buildings into small studio spaces and affordable studio spaces and gave huge incentives to creative businesses to come into Dumbo.
1: And so when you first came from Switzerland, had you had your heart set on Brooklyn or was it something that occurred once you got to this area?
2: I did my one year in Manhattan and then I moved to Brooklyn and I never turned back. I even (laughs) managed to turn my husband, who's a New Yorker, and I don't think he would ever consider moving to Brooklyn. I turned him into a Brooklynite, and, and I turned him into a Mac user as well from PC. So
1: Wow, that's yeah. that's pretty efficient and effective. <laughs> <laughs> now, you completed your design studies in Geneva and in Munich. Where did you go to school? The one in Geneva
2: was uh, after I started business and, and languages. I did a one-year, like sort of a general course in in all things creative. The school system is so different. In, in, in Switzerland, if you want to study graphic design, you do this like general course first year. And this has been the best year of my life. I, all I got to do was paint and draw and sculpt and build things. And it was just amazing. Maybe it a dreaming At the Ecole des Arts Décoratifs in, in Geneva. And while I loved the school, I didn't like the, the system too much. It was a little too schoolish. I, I knew I want to work a lot when I study. So I uh, decided for the university in, in Munich to study graphic design, where it gave me the liberty to,
1: to work a lot on the side. When did you know that you wanted to be a graphic designer?
2: Uh, pretty early on. I gravitated towards letters and posters and creating beautiful things with images and I kind of had my calling early on. I'm I'm very
1: grateful for that. Do you remember your first moment of being creative?
2: I mean, as a, aren't all kids kind of creative in a way? I was drawing and painting all the time and I mean... It's just part of me.
1: Did you have a moment where you knew that this was your passion and this was going to be your calling in life?
2: Yes. um, I have this slightly eccentric aunt, Hoogie, that was kind of the catalyst of my inspiration. She's very outgoing, very creative. She was a fashion designer by trade, and she actually, her partner was a graphic designer, and... That I remember. We were in south of France on vacation and he was doing his thing. He had a job to finish. And this was pre-computer. This was like hand lettering, hand drawing. And as a kid, you were so into drawing anyway, or I was. And I watched him do this assignment and I just sat there and I knew, oh my God, this is what I want to do. He makes money of this.
1: People give him money to be creative. So before starting Swiss you worked at ThinkMap, where you served as the design director and helped design the visual thesaurus. Can you tell us about that experience? When the founder of ThinkMap, one of the founders, Mark
2: Tinkler, came up with this software he wanted to showcase what you can do with it so he had the idea of like making this 3d thesaurus like an interactive 3d thesaurus to showcase what this software can do and he created visual thesaurus and it's an amazing tool i still use it when i'm brainstorming like if i have a client i need to do branding or whatever it is and i need a little start in in the thinking process and i pull up visual thesaurus go to visualthesaurus.com and you can type in a word for example one of my favorite ones is cool, Putting cool, and then you get this spider that visualizes all the antonyms and synonyms and you can interact with it. you can click on them and then when you click on a word it comes into the center and there's these knots that explain why they're connected and give you examples and it's for anyone that is into words it's just, it's heaven you get lost in there and I still love using the tool and I was able to help them with the branding, come up with um, just the overall style for the brand and everything that Uh, that you needed, like packaging and the site and um, the actual user interface for the tool. It was hands down one of my most exciting projects I've ever worked on.
1: Now, it does have a very Swiss aesthetic. It's very clean. It's got a lot of white space. Was that something that you were involved in helping to create? You mean the actual
2: interface? Of yes. The when actual you see interface. The tool? Yes. No, I mean I came in when the very first version already existed. Um, I helped making the second version of the user interface, which added a lot of more features. And what I got to do was the packaging, which was beautiful. Project. It's stunning. I mean, just a beautiful project to work on, and every all
1: the marketing material that goes around it, and and the mark itself. So did you help with the second version of the interface as well? Yes. yes, Because it does feel very Tina Roth-Eisenberg. It has such a cool, clean, uh, Swiss sensibility. And I think that there's something absolutely wonderful about being able to utilize the Technology to be able to discover new words, but it's also just as wonderful to be able to go into the site and create the visual language on your screen as you're trying to find the words. Yes. And, and I really love that about the visual thesaurus. It's very addictive. So mm-hmm. with English being your second language, yes. did you find it a challenge to do this type of word-based work? No, I always thought that
2: as a graphic designer... I'm so lucky that I was just able to switch cultures and my English was horrible when I came here, absolutely horrible, uh, because I focused on Italian during my studies, for whatever reason, don't ask me why. That's a beautiful um, language. It is. And I always thought, man, thank God, I'm not, let's say, a lawyer that has to, you know, craft these like very verbose, complicated, you know, sentence structures all day long. When you work in the visual world, you, you know, oftentimes can do stuff even though you don't know the grammar all that perfectly. So that was it was never a problem. And thank God, by the time I worked at ThinkMap, I've been here long enough that my English was better. <laughs>
1: Let's talk more about your blog. I read that you like to highlight the beauty in the ordinary. Yes, that's very dear to my heart. What do you consider to be ordinary?
2: Well, I can explain it with my thesis, that I've worked on passionately when I finished my studies in Munich. And basically that was a 200-page book about the beauty in everyday life, the beauty in the ordinary. And this has been a passion and a sort of a project that definitely has never left me, even though I graduated, what, 12 years ago. And what I did for that book is I, I photographed all day long. Like, I walked around and I tried to see the things I don't see anymore because we filtered them out. Otherwise, we would have too much input all day long, right? We kind of filter out the everyday things and and i tried to see them again so for example i would have coffee with someone or tea and uh, we're sitting at a cafe and i remember this one moment where my friend pulled out her tea bag and there wasn't a plate she could put it on so she put it on her napkin and there was this beautiful red table and then this white napkin and she put the tea bag on it and if you watch what happens you know it's black tea like what happens on the napkin the pattern that you know comes out of it and i just sat there and i stared at it and i was like I hope she finishes her sentence soon because I would like to take a picture of this. I always had a camera on me. I drove everyone nuts, right? And she already could tell what was coming. It's like, okay, go ahead, take a picture, (laughs) do it, right? So this was going on with all my friends and I told them about the project and I involved a lot of my friends. I had a lot of writer friends or illustrators. And oftentimes in the beginning they wouldn't understand what, what this was all about. And I tried to explain to them, just look at things that you don't notice anymore more carefully. And I got this one... Message on my answering machine back in the days we had answer machines, right? Yeah, where the night before I explained to my friend in Berlin, Would you like to contribute something? You're such an amazing writer, she like, writes a lot of short stories. And I explained to her the whole project, and she's like, Uh huh. And I could tell she, she didn't get it. And then the next day, I get this message on my answer machine where she goes, Tina, I was brushing my teeth last night and I was thinking about your project. So as I'm putting toothpaste on my toothbrush. I'm realizing I have never really looked at my toothbrush before. She said she stood there for like 10 minutes looking at the the bristles bristles and the whole thing, and she got it. She wrote the best little short snippets for my book. And it was beautiful to see how my project
1: had an impact on so many of my friends and how they looked at life in general. Paola Antonelli, the design curator at the Museum of Modern Art created an exhibit many years ago called Humble Masterpieces, Mm -hmm. which was featuring the everyday objects that we often overlook. And it reminds me of that moment of looking at a toothbrush really for the first time. Um, But I love the idea of these artifacts in our lives being considered masterpieces, because Mm -hmm. they do really help us live better, feel better feel happier about just being alive without our even really being aware or grateful every single day. They're so underappreciated. Next
2: time you use a post-it note, just say thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So in doing my research on you, I found several different bios of you. And some were from two years ago and some were from three years ago. And what I found so interesting about them was how each bio included the number of visitors visiting Swiss Miss over the years. I'm always
2: being asked. I can't help. (laughs) Well,
1: what's so interesting is in 2008, you had 350,000 visitors. In 2009, you had 600,000 visitors. And now you have over 900,000 visitors a month coming to Swiss Miss for visual inspiration. You have over 111,000 followers on Twitter. How do you think and why do you think your work and your curating and your blog and your sentiment about design has become so popular? I
2: think there's a few elements to that. A, I keep it somewhat personal on my blog, and I think people just want to connect with a person. And people that read my blog... They feel like they know me because I do share somewhat personal things, and like things I like, things about my kids, things about my husband. I mean, not too personal, but somewhat, you know what my home looks like, you know what things I like, you know a little bit about my thinking about the world. And I, I think people really want to want to connect with a person. So that's A, they, they come and visit me a little bit. Right. And, and then B, I just try to keep it very light and somewhat happy. And it's like this. This beautiful space you can go to when you need a break and you know you might find something that makes you smile.
1: And these days that's all we need sometimes, right? I mean, there's well a lot I love of... that you tag things with made me smile. Yeah. Now, when you were pregnant with your second child, you actually put up a post about what the name of the baby should be. So, talk about that experience. That was like crowdsourcing gone extremes. My
2: husband and I we we decided that our son is going to have a four-letter name. We and had that's to, like, because you all
1: have four-letter names. Yes. So and we figured, we need to and Ella. And what is your husband's Gary. name, yeah.
2: Gary? So we wanted a four-letter name. And all the four-letter names that we had, I was I think about seven months pregnant at that point. So we're getting to the point of, like, this is going to happen soon. Yeah, right. decision-making time. Yeah. So we had a list, but we were all, like, Yeah, None of us got excited about the same ones. And we were lying in bed, like, playing around with our iPhones. And I said, you know what? And we were discussing names. I was like, let's just, I'm going to tweet this now. So I put a tweet out. And within seconds... I got all these really cool names, and my husband and I were just sitting there, were refresh on, on, you know, on Twitter. It's like this is amazing. It's like, Gary, I'm sorry, but I'm going to put this on my blog now. You know, we got to see what the blog can bring out. And I did it the next morning, and as I put the blog post up, I was like, oh my god, I think this is a little crazy now. This is a little too personal. But no, this is the post that has the most comments on it. I because I realized afterwards that everyone has an opinion on a name. It's just you know, it's a very personal thing it's, it's very easy there's no you know so I have about 470 comments on it at this point so if you multiply that by three or four names that's a lot of four-letter boy names you can that's pick from. That's a lot of names. So
1: did you end up picking the name from any of the 470 times three or four or five? No, actually, we didn't. But it, so it got us thinking. So you really, really, you really thinking, must have pissed off an awful lot of people. I'm
2: sorry. All that effort and nothing <laughs> yeah. to show for it. No, no, it really got us thinking in different directions, though. And that's why we ended up with my cousin's name, Tilo.
1: So another question that I wanted to ask you was the whole idea of crowdsourcing. There's a lot of dialogue right now, particularly in the design community, about the value or the lack of value in crowdsourcing. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the current state of crowdsourcing, things like Crowdspring or 99 Ideas, or thoughts about the direction or the future of crowdsourcing. I oftentimes ask my reader questions, and I'm always humbled
2: and Absolutely floored at the quality of answers that come back and how immediate and how willing how willing they are to share, let's say if I'm researching camera bags or whatever it is, people are just so willing to share what they think is best right so there's there's a huge value in like say a community like mine that I trust so much to be able just to ask a question and within minutes, I get amazing answers right so I'm very grateful I have that I see sites that I feel abusing it a little bit or there's just certain crowdsourcing that i wouldn't approve
1: of Any, that anything way. you'd feel comfortable sharing well i don't
2: want to name names but if if you if you abuse talent for your own financial good i i don't approve of that
1: yeah i agree with
0: you i
2: feel like if you crowdsource you have to do it in a way that you also give back again that that's how i feel comfortable doing it So I feel like I'm sharing a lot and I'm trying to share constantly that I can every now and then ask a question. And then also sometimes I I try to make a blog post out of it if I get a lot lot of answers and people go like, can you sum it up, you know, what what the results are? Especially because this this is the thing that bugs me on Twitter. I ask questions on Twitter and I make this hashtag and I even say, please use the hashtag so people can follow, right? And then people don't do it and there's no real way to track it. So I end up actually always saying, please now comment on my blog. Like I ask the question on Twitter, but I say, please comment on the blog so people can follow follow.
1: Now, do you ever feel that there are blog bloggers that are putting too much information out there? Do you feel like there is a specific privacy line that bloggers should be cognizant of? I know, for example, Heather Armstrong gets a lot of criticism about how much she puts out. She is the creator of Deuce, D-O-O-C-E dot com. I happen to be a huge fan of hers. I love every morsel of personal information that she puts out, and I'm always somewhat surprised by the criticism that she gets about sharing her personal information, whether it be information about her children or her marriage with her readers. And I could say that perhaps by asking your readers to help you name your son, for example, that people might find criticism in that as well. But I I find it really refreshing and I find it really exciting to participate in a person's life in that Mm. way. And so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. The reason why I was a little bit
2: like once I put that post up about the name, I think it was going a little bit too far, especially for my what I consider how much I share of my life. Right. So I was a little unsure there. And yes, I mean, Heather Armstrong, does. to be very honest, at times when I read her blog every now and then I tune in, it is a little too personal for me. Sometimes <laughs> I feel like, and no, but that's totally OK. I mean, if she feels comfortable doing this, I mean, this is a free world. Right. I mean, more power to her. But as for me as a reader, it is actually sometimes a little bit too much. So I think that's a very personal question, what you feel comfortable with. And I I just feel what I love about Heather Armstrong, you know, she gets a lot of criticism. And when she made the site Monetize to Hate... Did yes. you see that? Yes, I did. When Heather Armstrong did the page where just basically pulled all the comments, the negative ones, and put
1: it on the site and put ads on it, I thought, that's the brilliant answer to it, so at least <laughs> make money off it, right? So speaking of money, how are you monetizing Swiss Miss? I mean, you are doing such a service, such a community service for the designers and artists and creators out there. You curate the most extraordinary objects, whether they be ordinary, whether they be extraordinary, you can find them all on Swiss Miss. How were you able to spend as much time as you are on your site and benefit from it financially?
2: I was very lucky that um, about four years ago, Jim Codal sent me an email right when I was looking for office space for the first time, thinking I need to not work from home once I started my own company. And he sent me an email saying, Tina, we would like to invite you to be part of the deck. I remember I nearly fell over. I was like, oh my God, this is heaven. Because I spent so much time blogging always, but I always felt like I can't justify all this time blogging by not making money of it i need to pay my rent right so by being part of the deck that jim kudal started i'm able to make money of a very small rss feed driven ad on the left hand corner of my side most people don't even realize there is ads on my blog and that's the beauty of it and it's always relevant advertisers so i actually end up clicking on it because it's it's really targeted towards the creative type so with uh, kudal uh, with the deck network and with uh, authentic jobs, that's a sort of a job listings network. I'm in. I'm
1: actually able to live off my blog, and, and that's beautiful. That's extraordinary. Yes. How do you determine what you're going to post on your blog, and how do you find all the ideas and products that you talk about? How does that happen? How do I find them? How do you How do you find them? How do you research them? How do you keep your blog going? You post upwards of five posts a day
2: i could do way more but i remember i once had a day where i had about 20 posts on my site it was a little much i admit but internet was on fire it was only good stuff out there and i just can't wait till tomorrow if it's great it needs to go up now and i had this commenter saying enough already (laughs) and he was not the only one i think there were two or three saying you got to stop this is too much we can't keep up this is stressful I'm thinking, who are you <laughs> to tell me you're not paying me to do this? And I, But I thought it was interesting that people were saying, you know, over oh, enough already. This is too much today.
1: Well, overwhelming them with beauty. What a, what a, that's, a, that's a happy problem as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So how do you choose what to post on your blog? It's
2: just a gut reaction. There's really no big plan behind it. It's what I like, what makes me look, what makes me smile. If I think it's a smart design, if I think it's, it's relevant to my audience because it just fits the, you know, the overall Swiss Miss thinking, It's a two second gut reaction. And is it
1: something that you plan? So you said you don't really do a lot of planning in advance, but if you're posting five pieces a day or more, how do you find them? Is it something that you just keep looking during the day and post as you find something that's interesting or do you plan for the next day? I'm going to do these. So you start every day completely fresh with nothing planned. No. That's extraordinary. Oh, my God. There's so much to post out there. And do people write you all day long asking for you to post about their products and their designs? And how do you decide what you're going to include? I'm very lucky that I get so many submissions, but it has unfortunately
2: gotten a little bit PR spammy. Sorry to all the PR people out there, but it's like a little sad, the stuff I get, because obviously they don't read my blog. I mean, it just doesn't fit. So I get so many submissions. I get a lot of really good submissions. Like usually when the headline says, I saw this today and it made me think of you, then I know it's one of my readers that saw something on their way to work and it's usually dead on. Okay, and, we're going to
1: have to have our producer edit that line out of this interview so that – no, I'm teasing – just so that, that people don't start doing that just to get you to read it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um I
2: never thought of that. Um, <laughs> but I had I get so many submissions. It takes me so much time to go through it that I actually have now this wonderful virtual intern. He's in Virginia. That helps me sift through my submissions inbox. And now it's much more efficient. And I, and I love getting submissions. It's usually... Because my readers, they they just extend my filters, right? And they know me at this point so
1: well. Now, in addition to being a blogger and a curator, you're a businesswoman. You have a series of lectures called Creative Mornings. You run this collective studio. Talk about your studio. I want, to, I want to understand how you run a collective, how you've put this collective together.
2: Oh, my studio. I love my studio. I love coming to work every single day. It's my happy place. I wish everyone would have this. I two years ago they do.
1: It's called Swiss (laughs) Miss.
2: Yeah, virtually. I mean, real, physical. Two years ago, when I decided after I've been renting desks in very cool spaces in Dumbo, I realized it's time that I have my own space. So I looked for uh, an office space. And at the time, we were three partners and we found a space right underwater in Dunbar. I mean, this white box right underwater. And we built it out with like these floating desks, very minimal, with a big conference table in the really? middle. Really
1: minimal. Yes.
2: Mm. And um, by now, it's just been two years, I'm, I'm the only person on the lease and it's sort of become my space. And I'm renting out desks and I'm, I would advertise desks on Swissmas. And so very organically, just through readers, that read my blog and want to come into our space, we have this amazing group of people right now. We're sort of like a mini agency, and this really happened organically. We have developers, business people, copywriters, interior designers, an iPhone ninja. I mean, it's just the synergies that are happening out of our just being in this space together. The geek talks we have over lunch, it's just, it's so inspiring. Or for example, the to-do app I did came out of the Studio Mates. We call ourselves studio mates. We also have now a neighboring studio, like a neighboring space opened up with even the more amazing view. So Workshop is a very cool design studio. They took it Jessie. over. They, yes, they did the same model. So they're renting out desks now. And we're kind of this powerhouse of very creative, cool people in Dumbo. And I can't tell you how inspiring it is and how helpful. You know, sometimes I turn around and say, do you guys have some advice on XYZ or a contract? or Do you have a, do you have a connection? And I think we all just get so much out of our
1: space. So you also created this app, yes. To Do, which is actually spelled T-E-U-X-D-E-U-X, To Do, so the French. To do. And so tell <laughs> us tell us about what To Do actually does.
2: This came out of a launch conversation. I watched my studio mate Cameron uh, using Things, a very cool To Do app, which I've tried. I've tried them all. And then I said, Cameron, do you like Things? And he goes, yeah. yeah. And we started this. Big conversation about to-do apps. And then I went into my spiel on how they don't work for me. I have this very specific workflow. And I sketched it out. I was like, I need exactly this. I made a sketch in a browser. And I mean, here I am a web designer, right? It never occurred to me I could actually build it. I mean, why did that never happen in my brain? And Cameron just laughed in my face and goes, Tina... Just design it. I'll build it for you. Right? So I designed it the next day. I sent it to him on a Saturday. And on Sunday night, we had a working prototype, which is basically like this, this week in front of you. And then every day you can add your tasks and they just come like on a, on a checklist, like a note list. Right? And you can t- check them off. It's so beautiful. You can check them off. Isn't that and, an incredible oh, feeling of satisfaction? The power of checking off. Yes. Or you can move it to the next day. And whatever you didn't do today, unlike on paper, it just moves automatically the next day. Isn't that beautiful? It is beautiful. So that's all it is. It's it's just minimal. And I have it as my homepage. So whenever I open a browser window, which is all the time, it hits me over the head what I actually need to get done. So we started using it in our studio space, uh, Cameron and I. And then everyone else started using it. And everyone that came in asked, what is this? And so over time, we realized, you know, people really want to use this. Let's just give this away. So we made this very silly site, very silly demo video obviously not planned as a business venture, and said, here we built this, here world, use it, enjoy, right? And we, I blogged it last December, and two hours later, Fast Company wrote a blog post calling it the best to do app of 2009. And Cam and I, we just sat there looking at each other going, oh my God, what's going on? And then Daring Fireball and Seth Godin, and everybody wrote about it. And we just sat there all day hitting the refresh button going, oh my God, oh my God, what is happening? And now it's turned into a little business. We made an iPhone app and... People are so passionate. I think I now understand what Apple feels like. In you what know? way? Tell me how. You know, when, when you make products that make people so happy, I mean, Apple products make me unbelievably happy, right? Every day. I'm passionate about them. And the, the tweets we get every day on our to-do account, I just sit there in awe. It's like, wow, we really touched people's lives. We must have struck a nerve with this. It's such a beautiful feeling of touching someone's life. If a design, you do a product and it's free on
1: top of it. You started a lecture series uh, a year or so ago, two years years ago, called Creative Mornings. And I was fascinated by the notion recently that the visual that you used for Creative Mornings, which was an aerial view of a coffee cup, was beginning to change. And recently I saw a visual of a cup of iced coffee, and I realized that you're now beginning to do Creative Mornings in different parts of the world. Yes. So Creative Mornings is now the beginnings of the Swiss Miss empire reaching into different corners of the globe. Talk to me about Creative Mornings and talk to me about how you started this series and where it's going.
2: I had this desire to start a morning lecture series, which is
1: free. Why? Which is,
2: I, I, I'm very fortunate in that I'm being invited to either speaker conferences or attend them as press. So I get to attend all these amazing conferences and get to hear these these wonderful speakers, right? And I will write about it on my blog. And I got a lot of emails from young designers saying, you know, you're so lucky. You get to see all these idols of mine. I would love to see them speak. I, I can't afford it or my boss can't send me, whatever. And that made me think. So I realized, you know, let's organize something where young designers get to before work, you know, a talk series before work that's free and to completely accessible, where people can just go there and see, that, say, someone like Michael Beirut speak and have an inspirational morning and then go back to work. And also, it's really important to me that people meet. You know, it's great to connect on, you know, on Twitter and, and through blogs. But in the end, what it comes down to is meeting someone. And to be very honest, I love the the presentations we have and the speakers. But to me, it's all about people meeting up. You know, there's nothing that makes me more happy than when I hear someone say, all right, you're so-and-so on Twitter. We ha- Didn't we have a conversation the other day? And that's what I want. I want people to meet up and, you know, and, and make connections and maybe end up building something cool together because a designer meets a developer or just making these connections that help you in your industry and get you out of your cubicle.
1: And so how did you first begin the series what was the first creative morning uh the first one was without a lecture It was just in my studio And I
2: realized, oh, people do really show up. How many people showed up? I was like 70, I think. We had to cap it after.
1: So just by the virtue of posting an announcement on Swiss Miss, you had 70 people in your studio that morning to listen to whatever you felt like talking about.
2: I was just saying hello and saying, you know, I think I'm going to start the series now. And it was just a very informal meeting up. And then the next one we had... uh, Carl Collins from Huge gave a presentation and Huge hosted it. So the, the concept of Creative Mornings is was that it's always hosted in a different studio or art space or gallery or whatever it is, whoever opens the door. That is not always working anymore because we have such a huge
1: interest. So now hundreds and hundreds of people come to Creative Mornings. Yeah, because Mornings. usually in the
2: beginning there were always like 50, 60 people and they would fill up very quickly. And then I would get a lot of emails saying, you know, I really want to attend. And then I started trying to find venues that are bigger. And um, last January, that was the month before I had my second kid, I wanted to sort of have a big bang because I thought by having my second kid, I'm going to take a break from Creative Mornings. So I reached out to my dream speaker, which was Michael Beirut, and he said yes without even flinching, which floored me. Because I started out this series thinking, I want to make a speaker series where Michael Burru at one point would say yes, I speak. That was kind of my goal, and he said yes. And then I approached Galapagos, which is an amazing art space again in Dumbo, and they opened up their door. So we had over three hundred people attending. And then I, of course, that was like the opposite of wanting me to take a break. And I was like, okay, now that's, we're continuing even full force. And then I, bigger and better than ever.
1: I started thinking about chapters, and I started the Zurich chapter last month. And so, tell me, what does chapter mean? What is how do you how do you see this as a chapter?
2: I get a lot of emails from around the world saying, can we open a Creative Mornings here? Can we do this? And because they see the need for this, you know, meetup this, this way of meeting people in the morning. And they all wanted to use my name. And, and I thought, you know what, maybe let's just start. Let's just start one in Zurich. I have a, f- a friend out there who I completely trust who said, you know, I'll run it for you. So it was this first experiment to see how he would do this. And the response was overwhelming. So I flew out last month for the kickoff and sort of to hand off the baby, right? And we had it at Google, which was exciting. We had it at the Google headquarter in Zurich. We opened up the RSVPs and within four minutes, we had 150 RSVPs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I was like, wow, Zurich really needs this, um, <laughs> which was exciting. And now next week, I'm actually flying to Los Angeles and I have Sek for Ferkete from Good Magazine speaking and kicking it off in Los Angeles, which is very exciting. It's fantastic.
1: Thank you, Tina. Thank you. Tina Roth Eisenberg's design studio is called Swiss Miss. Her design blog has the same name, Swiss-Miss.com. I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Nolman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.